welcome to this week's episode of The Homeschool How-To. I'm Cheryl, and I invite you to join me on my quest to find out why are people homeschooling? How do you do it? How does it differ from region to region? And should I homeschool my kids? Stick with me as I interview homeschooling families across the country to unfold the answers to each of these questions week by week. Welcome, and with us today we have Dahlia, a backyard chicken educator. Dahlia, thank you so much for being here. You're so welcome. I'm so I'm so happy to be here. I wanted to mention that you know I I am known as Dahlia, but also as the president of Chickenlandia. That's my that's my online persona. President of Chickenlandia. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about that and how that kind of blends into the homeschooling world. Well, you know, I didn't realize it. I I had just I, I've been a, a chicken educator for a while, um, going on about twelve years now. Um, recently, definitely during COVID, like we had like the surge of people wanting chickens, and also we had a surge of people that were started to homeschool during that time. Um, and I put out during the, during that time a course, uh, an online course, and I started to realize that they were there were a lot of homeschooling families actually purchasing the course and using the course. So I was like, oh, okay. And I'm actually kind of a homeschool flunky. I like <laughs> I I did homeschool for a very short period of time, and it just you know because. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, looking back, there are many things that I wish I would have done differently. But I, I did what I knew at the time, and because I didn't have the resources that I have now, we kind of, it, you know, it just didn't work out for mm-hmm. us. So I've kind of made it my mission to incorporate, you know, to teach people that they can incorporate chicken keeping into their homeschooling curriculum and have it be something that is just really a natural fit and can really help them to get through it because I don't know about anyone else but for me there were some really tough times with that I had with it and I wish that I would have utilized the chicken yard more often to kind of break up the monotony and get through get through those tough times. Yeah, and I do have chickens. I'm one of those people that you talked about during COVID that was like, oh my God, the government's trying to kill us. How can we survive if we had to? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and- I, I mean, not good that the government's yeah, trying to kill you. Right? And I'm like- good that you got chickens. We gotta start somewhere. Let's start with the chickens. And so that was what, three years ago, three, four years ago now. And I still have them, although- one did just die the other day. Like, we don't know what happened. Oh. My husband went in there. I, I've gotten to the point now, I kind of forget that we have chickens. My hus- poor husband comes home from work all day. Anyone do the chickens? No. So, but we're getting my five-year-old into, okay, well, you get the water and, you know, he'll try to fill up the food when he can, but he usually spills it all over and then all the rodents come over to it. So yeah, we've had our whole slew of issues. The, the first couple chickens that we did get, like got, eaten by a hawk in the first week so um <laughs> that we've yeah, had yeah that's a, a, a plethora of experiences with the chicken so i am super curious as to what info you have um so lay it on us <laughs> well i mean first of all I I had the kind of kid I have a, my oldest was we actually went into homeschooling this is long before covid um he was in kindergarten he's 14 now 
And he was really struggling with the teacher at his school. Now, we were in a private school, um, so it really shouldn't have been that way. It was actually super traumatic that we had to stop going to the school because they did not advocate for my son. And instead, they they defended the teacher, which was, like, so disappointing. So not only did we lose, you know, my son lost his his little community at school that he that he would have rather stayed in, but also we, as a family, we lost our community because it was a very, it was a close knit community within that, that private school. So that was already, you know, being that we started that way and it was kind of traumatic, it was already a rough start. And I've seen that a lot, you know, since during COVID when people were just really struggling and I was certainly one of them, like, we we had our kids home um, during that time, and they were doing the online, the you know the screen learning, and it was just you know I I didn't like it, you know I really didn't like it, um, and it was a struggle. And I a lot of my friends were struggling, and a lot of the people that followed me on social media and follow my YouTube channel, they were struggling as well. And so what I wish I would have done because I did have chickens when we started our homeschooling journey, I did have chickens, but I never thought to, you know, in those moments where it's like, okay, this is really hard. My son is very, he's super smart, very headstrong, a a great kid. Um, but I'm also headstrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was, I felt like it was hard for him to learn from yeah. me and it was hard for me to teach him. Now that looking back at that, it's like, okay, well, he was six years old. Like <laughs> maybe I could have walked outside and got some fresh air and brought him outside with the chickens and incorporated that into how he learned. Because there's literally like any lesson that you have, you can take it outside to the chicken yard. Yeah. You know, there's there's certainly like, of course, there's like science, there's biology. Yeah. Um, you could even do math, you know, especially with eggs, you know, little kids, you can do math. Um, then there's other aspects of it. Like if you look at flock dynamics, you can look, you can look at that, you can learn about that, and then you can relate that to like human dynamics and our social structure. Um, there's just so many ways in which you can incorporate your lessons, use, you know, incorporate the chicken yard into the lessons that you're teaching. And I really feel like when you get outside with nature, a lot of those blocks that you have up, you know, maybe you're getting frustrated. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're feeling your ego kind of get in the way of learning. That is going to lift. Mm-hmm. And so that's really my main message with it is even if you, of course, you know, if you get, you can get hatching eggs, they can, the baby chicks, you know, they hatch and then you have that whole experience. There's the whole like learning about the cycle of life and everything and um, learning about animal behavior. There's definitely like uh, the the real, the things that you can really see, the tangible things that you can see, okay, we can incorporate this into our curriculum. But then there's the other things just about uh, human behavior, animal behavior, all of that that you can also incorporate 
um, into your curriculum that are, that people don't normally think about just right up front. Right. I never thought about doing that with like math and okay, how many eggs do we have today? How many did we have yesterday? How many more than do we have or less than we have? Like incorporating that and how much sense that makes. And, you know, how do we get the eggs? I still don't know. It's it's been three years with these chickens and I still don't actually know. Like, like I obviously we have a rooster and things are happening, but they lay them without the rooster, too. So uh, that's so interesting. It would be. Yeah, wow, I feel very like um like I fell short there. <laughs> I got to get <laughs> Oh, don't. Please don't. Like I literally have people, I mean, I I just always say there's no stupid question. Like there's no dumb questions in Chickenlandia. And we are so separated from our food in general, like yes. and and separated from nature really that it's it, it's not surprising to me that people don't know certain things, certainly about the biology or the whole process of egg laying. I mean, there's things that I don't know about that. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a complicated process, but there are kids certainly in the city, like, um, there are kids that have never even seen a lot, you know, a chicken. Yes. (laughs) Much less no. Yeah. I didn't grow up in the country where I, I live now. I grew up in, you know, the, uh, capital region of New York and yeah, I never, saw a chicken. I didn't know people like had them as pets and ate their actual eggs, you know? Yeah. Or that there was a difference between meat chicken and, you know, the chicken that you would get eggs from, you know, I I think. Yeah. Layer chickens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know that one. So what even got you into, like, did you always work with the chickens or you had them and saw that there was this gap and went to fill the need? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. (laughs) Okay. So I did not grow up with chickens. My, of course, my 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 parents uh, are from Guatemala. My dad passed away. My mom's from Guatemala, but they, they're both they both were born and raised there. Um, my grandmother had chickens, and my great grandmother had chickens, and probably on my dad's side, I'm certain that they that people had chickens because that was just the way of life back right. then. It wasn't like something that you did it was just something that you that you were you know that that was just like part of your life it wasn't like this thing this extra thing that you did it wasn't a hobby it was part of how you survived but i grew up as a child of the 70s and 80s you know i was we were in the suburbs i didn't even hold a baby chick until I was a young adult. So I, at the time I was, I was, well, I'm going to back up a little bit. So I was, I was working in Hollywood. I met my husband. I was a personal assistant in Hollywood. I wanted to be like this writer, director, uh, you know, the next great American filmmaker, all this stuff. So I was in Hollywood to, to try and make those dreams come true. My husband is still in the entertainment industry. He's an aerial cinematographer And I met him there, we got married, and then we were like, oh, I want, you know, we started to want to have children and didn't want to do that in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So I really thought about it and I was like, you know what, I I think we should just move, like, let's move up north. And so we moved, we ended up moving here to Bellingham, Washington. And so in that process, I kind of gave up what I had wanted to do since I was a little kid. I mean, I had like 20,000 dreams. Like, I'm going to be a talk show host. I'm going to be a, 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 you know, the great American novelist. I'm going to, you know, all this stuff. 
but I, I pretty much let that go. And I felt like I was okay with that. And, you know, we had our first child, he was about 18 months old, but I was, I didn't realize I was really kind of mourning that the loss of that dream. And also I had postpartum depression and I didn't know, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of women, they actually don't know that they have Mm -hmm. it. And because women are the way they are, and we will literally like just soldier through, you know, especially when we have babies, we're going to soldier, soldier through whatever's going on with us for the welfare of our family. Like even my family didn't really know what was going on, but I was very much struggling. And I really felt like I have to have some kind of identity that belongs to Mm me. You you know, because I, and it's not that I didn't love being a mom and a wife, but I wanted something that was just mine. And I said, I'm going to get some chickens, (laughs) getting chickens. Because why not, you know? But I had no idea that they would just become this passion that was so, you know, just burning within me. Oh, that's so cute. So much so that, you know, after I got them, I was like, all I did, I was like chicken 24-7, you know, chickens, chickens, chickens. chickens. And, And I had only had them for about six months. And the community, the local community college contacted me and they were like, can you teach a class on chickens? And I was like, well, I've only had them for six months, but I didn't say that. I was like, yes. (laughs) And so I did all this research and I taught this class. And at the end of that class, a woman came up to me, an older woman came up to me and she said, I have had chickens for 30 years and I learned so much today. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, it just, you know, I, I like to say when I when I got my first ba- batch of baby chicks, when I was holding them and putting them into the brooder, my heart opened and a new dream was able to come in. And oh. so I'm so grateful to that. I'm so grateful to chickens. But no, as a child, I did not lie in bed and think to myself, I'm going to be the president of Chickenlandia. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I did not think that yeah. like ever. I can see why that didn't cross your mind, and it, and it really is um, truly. It just shows you how unique people are because I have chickens, and I have never once had a burning desire to like hang out with them, and <laughs> like they're they're just there. I mean, like when my husband came in the other day, and you know we've had him for three years, all the ones dead. I'm like, oh. Which color was he? You know, like there's no, I'm like, where'd you throw it? (laughs) No emotion whatsoever. I was like, good, one less to feed. We haven't been getting eggs from him anyway. (laughs) So I sound heartless, but. Yeah, they're not laying right now. They're not my, um, uh, you know, I I like, I, but I'm excited for what you said with, because in the springtime, you know, since we do have our rooster and we have um, five hens, I, I would like to hatch babies because, yeah, they're about done probably with their egg laying. We went for a while with no eggs and now we're getting like three a day. I think the coop was just really dirty. I sound like the worst chicken owner ever. Um, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was just it was just that they didn't have enough light. That's all that was. It had not, it didn't have anything to do with that. Oh yeah. It's just that they need a certain amount, a certain number of hours of light a day in order to lay, especially as they get older. Well, we do have lights in there, but 
And we had them in the chicken tractor for a little while too. So they always have access to outside, but mm. maybe they were molting. Oh, okay. I yeah, I didn't That's know that was a thing. thing. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right. That's interesting. They won't lay very much when they're molting and they won't lay very much if they don't have a certain number of light of uh hours of light during the day. They okay. need they need a certain hour, certain number of, of hours of light in order for that cycle to happen. Oh well that's interesting. Molting. And that's like the feathers coming off? Yes, and get replaced hopefully with new feathers. <laughs> So what I discovered this year, what we um, purchased was a chicken tractor because um, looking into, oh, his name is going to escape me now, um, but he wrote Polyface Micro. Joel Salison. Yes. And how he does that regenerative think- farming sounds so cool. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did this year because, you know, I wanted to have the free range chickens, but hawks make that a little difficult. And also yeah. they... Only yeah. like to poop on the pavement and then like the kids will walk in it and the dog's licking it up and then he's getting sick. So I was like, okay, this is not working. Um, so the chicken tractor was neat. We have, uh, we got like an Amish made one. So it's, it's really cool. Um, it oh, was nice. used. So we got a good price and that we can kind of move it around the property so that they're like eating the grubs under the grass in a new patch every day or every time we move it at least. But it is cold and snowy here now, so we put them back in their, their regular coop. But have do you have any experience with that or, or you know, how to get them laying a lot for you? Um, I don't have – I the first – a coop that I had was a tractor, but I, I quickly realized that it was just too heavy for me to move around. Plus, I lived in the suburbs. So it wasn't it wasn't a lot of space anyway. Like it made more sense for me to have them in a stationary mm-hmm. coop and then I could give them actually more space than if I had them in a tractor. Yeah. Um, the other sometimes issue with tractors is that, and it depends on the kind that you get, but uh, digging predators can really get into them. Um, and there is a way that you can make that less likely. But where I live, we have just so many raccoons. Not as much as where I live right now, because now I live out in the country. But when I was in the city, it was like those trash pandas were <laughs> everywhere. Oh, wow. And even if you didn't see them, like they were around and they would really, you know, they can really devastate a flock mm-hmm. and also weasels. Okay. Um, so I needed to have just a little bit more of a predator proof set up there. But it's great. I mean, I think if you can do it, I have seen the, some really good designs for tractors that are way easier to move. And if you can do it, that's a great way to get your chickens, not just like where they're protected, but also, you know, like you said, it's a more of a regenerative system where they have access to pasture, which you want, you know, that's where you're going to get the best, the most nutritious eggs is if your chickens have access to pasture. They also are less likely to succumb to disease when they have that access to pasture because they're being exposed to the microbiome in the soil. They're getting new exposure all the time, and generally they're just going to be more resilient. 
Hey folks, I got a couple of reviews on Apple Podcast and Spotify this past week. I really want to thank you to anyone who left a review. If you haven't left me a review yet, please consider going on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this show and leave a review. It really helps boost us when people go to search for homeschooling podcasts. There are a couple of them out there. Um, I think what sets me apart is I don't know what I'm doing and I don't claim to. So I interview the people who do and get all the ways that people can homeschool so that you guys can learn right along with me. I also want to let you know about Earthly Wellness and their laundry detergent. I've been using Tide. (coughs) Oh God, I'm so embarrassed. Um, But I recently started using the laundry detergent from Earthly Wellness. The key ingredients are sodium carbonate, which is like a washing soda, which cleans the clothes, citric acid, saponified oils of olive oil, coconut oil, and castor oil, which also cleans the clothes, and bromelain, which fights stains. There's absolutely no sulfites, no fragrance, no phosphates, no petrochemicals, no allergens, no preservatives, or formaldehyde, or chlorine, or ammonia, or any other of that junk, which is probably all in my tide. And you can get four different scents, citrus, spring blossoms, eucalyptus, spearmint, or just unscented for a 60 loads. It's about $18. So it's exactly what I was spending on Tide anyway, except better for my family and better for me. If you want to grab your laundry detergent or any of the other products that they have and get 10% off of your first order, use the code homeschoolhowto. You can use the link right in the show's description or at the homeschoolhowto.com under listener discounts. So as long as they have enough space, you know, as long as you don't, because I have seen some people that have had tractors and there's too many chickens in the, in the tractor for it to really work for them. Mm. Like they, they are probably getting stressed out, but as long as you have enough space in the tractor, I think it's great. And every day you're giving them something else to do. Mm. Like they're, they're able to peck and scratch. They've got access to foliage and they're going to be healthier for it. Okay. So I think it's a great option. Do you know what killed my poor chicken? What uh, what condition was it in? Was it just dead? Yeah. Like you just went in there and it the was dead? The other ones hadn't picked at it or anything. No blood, just keeled over and hard. And what kind of chicken was it? Oh, like a speckled color? <laughs> Black with the speckles? So it's like a speckled Sussex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so production breeds are bred... Not for resilience, you know, if you really, if you get them from a hatchery, they're not really bred for resilience. They are bred for production. And the, the ideal production breed is going to be a chicken that lays a very high amount of eggs in a one or two year period. Because most chickens, most production breed chickens especially, do not live past the second year. Not because they die naturally, but because... They're usually in a like a a setting where they're not going to be, you know, after the two years when their production is going to fall, they will be um, they'll be replaced by a new flock. So and and for a factory farm, it's probably one year. You mean murdered? You're just putting murdered in a nice way, right? Okay. (laughs) They'll be murdered. I was going to not say murder. My, my chicken wasn't murdered by us. But no, yeah. No. But <laughs> they'll, they'll kill them because, yeah, <laughs> it's expensive to feed them. I mean, if that's the, you know, the business yeah, you're in. Yeah. And it's, yeah, they're they're thinking about the bottom line, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, my concern always is like that they're treated in a humane way. I'm, I'm not a, a huge fan of factory farms because uh, it is very inhumane, in my opinion. Um, but then, you know, there are other farms where they're, 
they're raising their chickens on pasture. And then after two years, they do replace that flock. And my only request for that is that they're just humane, you know, and, and the chickens have a good life. And then, and then, um, they go over the rainbow bridge and then there's a, you know, another flock of chickens. And I think that that is very much preferable than, um, having chickens languishing in a factory farm. And so it's always my goal to like, uh, make, make that happen less, mm-hmm. like <laughs> keep chickens, you know, so that we don't have that happening. Cause it's not good for human beings. What do you either. think about my really idea of for just us. setting them loose in the woods so then we can feed the coyotes? And- <laughs> I mean, it might, well, might torture them I, I a little think- bit too at the end. We don't want that. Yeah. That they are not, they're not, I mean the little one, like if you go to Hawaii, you go to Hawaii, go to Kauai, and it, it's Chicken Island. Really? Like there's chickens everywhere, and they're wild. Oh, how funny! Um, they're kind of between. They're 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 very wild, but they also know they're kind of like pigeons. They're like, okay, we know if we go around human beings, we're going to get some food. So, um, but those, if you look at those chickens, they're smaller. They're just they're a lighter breed. They're more um, a flighty flighty breed. They can fly further, they can roost higher, and they're better foragers. The production breeds that we have, most of them are not, they're not going to be as good foragers. Um, they're not very resilient. They, they're, like I said, they're not bred for resilience, they're bred for production. So at three and a half years, it is not uncommon for them to just have what's called sudden chicken death, where they're pecking and scratching one day, and the next day they're just dead. Wow. And a lot of people, especially people that keep them as pets, they're just absolutely heartbroken by that. And they'll message me and they'll be like, I don't know what I did wrong. And they feel really, really guilty. And I'm like, it is not, it's not you. It is, it's just a common thing. They, their bodies are working so hard to lay and lay and lay and lay. And you can imagine what that would do to a human being, you know, to be you know, a, a woman that's had like lots and lots and lots and lots of babies through a very a long, you know, the period of her life, that's going to affect her health eventually. So um, usually it has to do with like overactive um, reproductive organs, uh, the overactive reproductive system, um, and something called fatty liver but it's it's not necessarily anything that anyone did. It's just that that is that is a, a ten, you know it's a tendency for them to get that because of the type of chicken that they are and how they've been bred. Now, I got I hope that made sense. my chickens from Tractor Supply, which I'm sure is not a great quality of you know breed there or however. Um, do you have recommendations on where people should go to get baby chicks if they want to have chickens? Well, I mean, I think I think you should go where it where it works for you. So like if you if you go to Tractor Supply, like you know, they're going to have a good variety of chickens and the, you know, it's it it it's okay. Like wherever you get them, they're likely from a hatchery and they they've likely been shipped there from from a hatchery. And that's the system that we have to work within right now. And I'd I'd rather see chickens coming from a hatchery and raised in a backyard than, you know, like I said, more chickens having to be in factory Mm -hmm. farms because we think that that's our our only option. Mm -hmm. Um, Best case scenario would be 
you find a breeder that is near you. They're a good, responsible breeder. They are breeding for resilience. Um, you're still going to get lots of eggs. You're probably going to get a better quality, a bird that lives longer. Okay. Um, and has less, has less issues. Um, but you also get roosters because bre- breeders usually aren't sexing the chicks. That, and that means, you know, separating by, the, by cockerel and pullet. And a, a pullet is a is a young hen that hasn't gone into lay yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then of course a cockerel's a young rooster. So you have to have a plan for what you will do if you get roosters. And again, that's another thing where I'm like, just just make it be humane, you know, because I understand like we can't even if you're allowed roosters where you live, let's say you have five hens, you can't have five roosters right. with five hens. Right. You'd have to separate be, them. You'd have to have like a bachelor. Right. Pad. It wouldn't be nice to those hens. The roosters on the other side uh-huh. of the yard. Yeah. The hens would be really, really stressed out and you'll end up not getting eggs and they'll get, they will, stress will lead to parasite infestation and illness. It's, I've seen it so many times. Interesting. So, so you've got to have a, a, a plan for that. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to, if you want to get the, if it's a best case scenario, the closer to you you can get. And if there's a hatchery that's close to you and they have good practices, you can go there. You know, rather than have your baby chicks ship ship from across country, which can be um, hard on them sometimes. So, um, yeah, those are those are best case scenarios. But I always just say, you know, do what you can. Yeah. You know, uh, my first chickens were from a farm store. I've certainly gotten them from from the farm store, and they're fun and yeah. You know, it's a good, you're giving them a good life. Good. Now, so what is Chickenlandia if I, you know, to tell the people listening or if I wanted to look into it for my kids or, or myself, because clearly I don't know much about the chickens in my yard. Um, what is it in its entirety? <laughs> so uh, Chickenlandia is like the, it's my chicken yard. Okay. That's, that's like chicken land. Chicken, Chickenlandia means uh, chicken land in Spanish. Aww. Okay. <laughs> um my YouTube channel, which is where people mostly know me from, is called Welcome to Chickenlandia. And that's really like my biggest platform. That's where people learn the most from me. I also teach locally, but now that I've expanded so much, um, a lot of what I do is is national. So I'll be, it's just better for me to focus on teaching online so I can reach more people. Um, so I have my YouTube channel. Of course, I'm across social social media. I also have an online course. Um, it is called Backyard Chickens 101, a chicken course for everyone because it's for everyone. And that is an online course. Like I said at the beginning, that's where I just started to realize, oh, homeschooling families are doing this. Um, and it's something that you can go through as a family. I think for really young kids, you'd have to like kind of go through it with them. Um, and then once they get into the like tween teen years, you know, they can do it on their own. Um, so there's that. And that's an interactive course. You can take it at your own pace. You have direct access to me and my, um, co-instructor. So there's that. I also have a book. It's called Let's All Keep Chickens. Aww. This was published by, here, I'm holding it up right now. <laughs> it, it was published by uh, Story Publishing last year in February. Um, and this is probably the, you know, it's my baby. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, and that's available at 
Tractor Supply, you know, Amazon, Walmart, all, uh, Barnes and Nobles, all that, all those places. Um, and hopefully your local bookstore. If not, you can ask them yeah. for it. Um, so there's that. And you can, and I do have a podcast. It's called Bach Talk. It, that's B-A-W-K-T-A-W-K. <laughs> <laughs> And that is where people can go and, you know, listen. And there's a lot of beginner content on it and intermediate content. And you can find all of this on my website, which is welcome to chickenlandia.com. Um, there's links to everything, even my YouTube channel, you can get to it from there. So yeah, that's, that's Chickenlandia. That's what Chickenlandia oh, is all about. Just fun. getting, getting the word out that, Everybody can have chickens. Yeah, and you're so right that we are so disconnected from our food. And I never realized it growing up in the city and even, you know, moving out to the country. Like, we don't even get internet out here, like, by the normal means. And I'm like, what? Where the heck do we live? This is insane. And the bugs. And the first few years (laughs) I moved out here, I was just, like, spraying insecticide everywhere. And (laughs) now I'm like... (laughs) Total 180 the other way. I, I see things so differently, but it is just funny how, for, like you were saying, your you know your parents or grandparents, they just had chickens as a way of life. It wasn't even like a pastime. It was just something yes. you did because you need, you know, eggs for nutrition. And um, how in just such a short time, things have just changed so much. And I know my grandmother was the same way. She grew yeah. up in Poland. You know, and the, her family came across to America and they wouldn't let her on the boat because she had some sort of illness. So she had to stay there. And, mm. um, you know, so like just how different that is in two generations. She knew how to survive totally on her own. I know nothing about it. I'm here like killing myself with insecticides. And, and for what? Like, let the bug live, Jesus. But... um. <laughs> <laughs> But it, do you see that like it's or do you think we did that whole like 180 and now people are like, whoa, too far in that direction. Let's kind of roll it back and get back in touch with our roots. Well, yeah, that's a, that's really interesting because there does seem to be and you can feel it. You know, you can feel that fever pitch right now. And, and really, it started um, probably around, tw- you know, 2015, 2016, you started to feel like there's, there's change coming. Like people are, people are beginning to, to kind of buck against the system. Um, and what I say is that, you know, in Chickenlandia, I say, you know, it's called welcome to Chickenlandia because everyone is welcome there. And I really have a message that chickens are humankind's most amazing common denominator. You know, if we look into our past, we all have chickens, just about all of us have chickens within our culture in a very significant way. So it's one way that we can look and see, oh, we we have this in common mm. during a time when we're really, really, really divided. And the interesting thing is, is no matter what, where you are, either in the political spectrum, you know, the religious spectrum, you know, culturally, any of that. Um, we are all kind of suffering from the same trauma and that is the trauma of being separated from who we are. And, you know, I have that, I can look back into my history. I can see when, um, industrialization and war 
kind of ripped my family from the culture that we were in and forced us to live separate from that. And really anyone can look into their history. It doesn't matter where they're from. They can look at, into their history and see where that severance mm. happened. And I really feel like during COVID, a lot of people started to feel that, you know, more, more than, than they had before. And that's why when people were, you know, scrambling to get chickens in COVID, a lot of, a lot of other educators were like, oh my gosh, people are getting chickens and they don't know what they're doing. And I was like, wait, this is a good thing. Like we want more people to have chickens. We want more people to be outside. We want more people to connect with who they are. Because when you, when you know who you are, you treat other people differently. Mm -hmm. When you've been separated from who you are, you fight with other people yeah. because you don't know who you are. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I have a message of peace, you know, peace and love and chickens. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's try and, uh, and kind of see past all these things that are separating us, especially right now, you know, it's, it's brutal oh, yeah. out there well, right now. And there, the divide and conquer has just always been a strategy of, you know, elite or what you know the 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 people in charge you know so it's it's like yeah. don't fall for that and it's so funny <laughs> yeah it's a, it's funny because i'm coming from it as you know i'm a, i'm a child of immigrants so my dad my, my mom and dad they came from a war torn country the war started when my when my parents were very young and they had to leave the country because it was just getting torn apart by war. And they were, you know, they had family members that had been in danger. And really for my dad to stay in Guatemala as a young man that was, you know, becoming educated and everything, it would be dangerous for him to be there because of how awful it got. Um, so he taught me, like, you, you have to, like, you have to pay attention to when you're when you're being divided because what what happened to my country is that we were divided and that's how that's how we you know succumbed to the powers that be you know and that's how our country got torn apart is because we returned against each other so i do have that concept of divide and and conquer and i'm like come on people like yeah let's not do this. Let's, let's look at the people that are really trying to separate us from who yes. we are instead. Yes. That small little group. And there's so yeah. many of us, like you said, that just want this life where you're in touch with nature, you know, you wanted to have kids. So you moved to the suburbs and, you know, have a nice family life. Like that's all most people are, are, are looking for a little hobby that you're passionate about and like what else could you ask for right but you know for yeah. that uh, if everyone was content we wouldn't be as easy to control but you can control when people are fearful but you know i think taking the like what i try to say to people you know you don't want the doom and gloom message either like what can you take control of well in, in my mind if if they wanted to shut off the power or, you know, and we couldn't get anything from the grocery store, how could I support my family? Well, one, having chickens is a good way to do that. Because like you said, they can out eat outside, eat the grubs, even if you can't get them, 
their their food that you normally give them. They can eat things from outside and then they can produce the eggs for you. So there is one step in the right direction of being a little bit more self-sufficient. Like my t-shirt here. This is my t-shirt. Be the role model your government fears. The homeschool how-to <laughs> podcast. You know, we want them to fear us a little bit. Like, uh, And the only way we can do that is by not needing them. I do. And this is another thing that I'm pretty passionate about is that I do want to see people in the city with chickens Mm -hmm. and in the inner city with chickens. I want people that live in apartment complexes to be able to have chickens. Like right now, there are places where not only is it illegal to have chickens, but there's not even a grocery, you know, there's these food deserts in the city where they can't, they don't even have access to fresh groceries. And I just, and it's like, okay, so it's illegal to grow it's, food. It's, it's illegal, illegal to, have, to chickens, have chickens and they can't get groceries. Think about that. That's America. What would your parents say about that? You know, like that is not what their thought was for let's leave Guatemala to go to this land of the free. Oh, except you can't grow a chicken. yeah it's just crazy yeah i mean they they, yeah it it was certainly complicated you know how they felt about everything it was uh but i'm so glad that you know they they had the wherewithal to do that uh sometimes i wonder you know because i have cousins that are still in guatemala and and they you know they have a great life and they're happy and everything and i wonder like what would it be like but would i be the president of chickenlandia i don't know yeah (laughs) Yeah, I know. I will. What would it be like if I was growing up in Poland right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's fun to think about you know, different things like that. And there you go. There's your next book, <laughs> your next kid's book. <laughs> um, oh, that's so cool, though. And I yeah, I didn't think about like having. So how would someone have chickens in an apartment complex, like have a one area where everybody kind of takes part of the care of them? Yeah, I mean, I think that if 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 they agree to have it as part of their community, you know, that the apartment is has a community, why wouldn't it? You know, why shouldn't it have a community? Um, and they decide we want to have chickens in this one area, then they should be able to do that. But right now we have laws in place that keep people from being able to do that. And I, I want to see that. And certainly like during COVID when we had the lockdowns, I, I did have a big concern about people who lived um, in the city, in apartment complexes. They didn't have the access to outside that, that I have. Um, and I felt like people weren't thinking about them. And so it was really hard on people. Honestly, it was really hard on poor people, people that didn't have a lot of money and not everybody that lives in an apartment is poor. Okay. But there were, there are people that live in those type of areas that I really felt like everybody forgot about. And so that bothered me. And I thought they have a right to have this experience. Absolutely. Um, so I definitely like, that's a big passion, passion of mine is, is really food justice, you know, and how getting, um, getting chickens available to everybody, getting fresh food available to everybody. If they want to have a garden, if they want to have chickens, they should be able to do that. Okay. So as we are approaching the chicken mating season and the baby chicks being born, people might want to actually, you know, use the time now to get the baby chickens. Can you let us know what one would need in order to, you know, purchase the chickens and, and bring them home? Like, how do we keep them alive? <laughs> <laughs> that's always, that's always good advice. Like, how do you keep your, your baby chicks alive? Well, you know, just to really simplify things, I tell people that the closer that they can keep 
the baby chick's experience to their natural experience that they would have with a mother hen, the better. So think about the things that mother hen provides for baby chicks. First of all, she's going to provide shelter for them. She will, you know, she'll take them to safe places. She will actually shelter them with her body. So in an artificial brooder situation, you need to have some kind of container to keep your baby chicks in. And this can be, you know, a lot of people start out with those plastic totes, but you just need to remember unless you have like three really small bantam breeds, they're going to grow out of that tote. Okay. So you want something, you know, really at least one square foot per uh, baby chick, you know, standard size baby chick is a good, a good rule of thumb. Um, and it, you know, I really like using guinea pig cages because it's already like enclosed so they can't fly out. You know, you also need to know baby chicks get their wing feathers. That's like the first, first feathers that come in and they do fly. They can't like take off and fly south, but they will fly up to the edge of the brooder and they can actually fly out of the brooder, which can get them into trouble. And also we don't want baby chicks pooping all over the house. So, you know, if you have them in the house. So just get something that is nice and spacious and will work for them and is not a fire hazard. That's what I tell people. Um, you need some type of bedding, um, like wood shavings, pine, aspen, hemp shavings. Um, you could use pine pellets. Uh, but when baby chicks first come home, I will put them on either like a, a very thin paper towel. Like I'll lay that like thin layer of paper towels. I'll lay that at the bottom of the brooder or I'll put a very thin old towel on the bottom of the brooder. And that helps them to get good traction. And also you can sprinkle the food around the brooder so they find their food and water very quickly. Um, obviously you need food and water. Um, I, you, I, will, I usually recommend unmedicated feed. You should read up on that and decide what you're comfortable with. Um, let's see, what else? And then also warmth. Like a baby chick in with, that is with a mother hen is going to be scurrying you know, out from under the mother hen and then back, and they'll be able to have that source of warmth wherever they go. But as the human mother hen, you need to provide that for your baby chick. And that would be either with a, a heat lamp, and I prefer the red heat lamps to the white ones just because it will keep them a little bit calmer. Um, or you can use a radiant brooder um, I actually prefer that it's a little bit closer to their natural experience. It's also a little bit more expensive than uh, you would be spending on a on a heat lamp. So you got to decide what you want to go go with um, in in you know according to your circumstances. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast so far. We're about a year in, and I would love to be able to keep going with this podcast. So if you feel inclined and would like to send a donation so that we can just keep the upkeep of the recording software that I use, the distribution software to get the podcast out to Apple and Spotify and all those good places, please consider sending a donation. It doesn't have to be anything outlandish or crazy. Uh, a cup of coffee would be extremely helpful. I have a couple different ways. One being ko-fi.com, probably, probably pronounced coffee, ko-fi.com slash the homeschool how-to, PayPal, buymeacoffee.com, Venmo, and Zelle. 
I will put links to all of those in the show's description. Thank you so much for even the consideration. If you'd like to support the show in a different way, I do have some apparel available on my website, thehomeschoolhowto.com, under the shop page, our shirt that says, Be the role model your government fears, and not made for classrooms or cubicles. You could grab either of those, and we do have free shipping at this time. So go on over to thehomeschoolhowto.com under shop and grab your sweatshirt or t-shirt today. Baby chicks also need grit, which is basically like very small pebbles or coarse sand. Um, and they need that because that goes, they, they know to eat it. They have like an instinct to eat it. It goes into their gizzard and then that helps to break up the food that they ingest. And a lot of, you know, if you go to the farm store, a lot of the people there might say, you know, the workers, they might say, oh, you don't, if you're only feeding chick feed, you don't need grit. I I just really recommend using grit from the beginning because, you know, you know, hopefully your baby chick will have some variety in their diets. Um, Your baby chicks will have some variety in their diets. Um, And also it's, you know, it doesn't really cost much. You could even get like clean, coarse sand and give it to them. And um, it's just good for their digestion. Good to have that. And yeah, what else? I don't use a thermometer. Um, I never have. The way that I was taught was to pay attention to your baby chick's behavior. Because above all, that's going to be the most important thing. So, And that's to see how hot it is under the heat lamp? Yes. Yes. So... If you have your heat lamp, you know, you have your whole setup, you put your baby chicks in there and they're all kind of piling up on each other and they're peeping loudly. They're underneath the heat lamp and they're peeping loudly. They can't seem to get comfortable. That probably means they're too cold. So you need to lower the the heater or you need to lower the radiant brooder. If they are all around the sides and they can't, you know, they're kind of panting or they're lethargic. That means it's too hot. You need to raise it up. Okay. They should just be calm. Um, you know, they'll peep every once in a while. They'll make little coos and caws, but most of the time, you know, some of them are asleep. Some of them are pecking and scratching. Some of them are at the food bowl, food, you know, dishes and water dishes but there's just kind of a feeling of of calmness among them and no feeling of like urgency or let you know they're not lethargic um that's really the best way to determine whether or not they're comfortable is that they will appear comfortable and they will sound comfortable um awesome. but if you want to use the thermometer that's fine you know i i off the top of my head i don't even i can't even tell you like the right temperatures at what stage, because I've just never done that. I've just yeah, always no. been told, you know, follow your instincts, listen to their behavior. And that's the most important way to tell how they're doing. Yeah, no, that makes so, a lot yeah. of sense. So yeah, I mean, if you have all of that stuff, you, you're you going to do, you, you'll be starting out well and get it all before you bring the baby chicks home. Right. <laughs> and then what do they need as they get a little bit older? Like when are they ready to graduate to a coop? Well, you know, uh, ideally they'll be any, it's really anywhere from six to eight weeks. And that varies. The main thing you want is for them to be fully feathered. Okay. And depending on the breed of the chicken, it, it, that will come at different times, but generally it's between six and eight weeks. So you want them to be fully feathered. Um, if it is super cold outside, and this is why I tell people get baby chicks in the spring. You know, don't get your first baby chicks and have them arrive 
in February if you're still having really cold temperatures in February. Get them in the spring when it's when it's warmed up, when it's over 50 degrees at night outside, and then you can feel comfortable about putting them outside. And also, it's really good to give them outside time, even when they're baby chicks. You have to stay with them. You have to make sure that they're safe and they're protected. But if you do that, it's easier for them to acclimate to the outside, not only to the temperature outside, but also to all the things in the environment outside. Because what you don't want is for them to suddenly go out into the chicken yard at six to eight weeks, and that's the first exposure that they've had. And that can be quite a shock to their system. Um, Gradual exposure is best. So yeah, about six to eight weeks, fully feathered. Um, If it's very cold outside, you'll need to do that a little bit slower. You'll need to acclimate them to outside. You might have to bring them in at night and have them be outside during the day. it's a bit of a process, so I just tell people when you're first getting them, make sure that the temperature is right for the outside. Okay. And then having like a, a spot for them to nest, like nesting boxes and a roost, is that pretty standard for each coop? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and th- and those things are easy. Like, um, you know, I mean, any coop, if you get got, went out and got yourself a, a prefabricated coop, it's going to have everything in it. It'll have nesting boxes. It'll have the, the roosts. Um, you know, you can certainly make roosts. Obviously, if you're going to have a coop, you need to have, it needs to have roosts in it. It needs to have nesting boxes in it. And um, so that will require a little bit of research on, on your part to make sure that they have everything that they need. The one thing I'll say is, you know, try if you can. It really depends on the on the design of your coop, but try to put the roosting bars above the nesting boxes, um, so that you're so that your chickens. And it depends on what breed they are, because some chickens just will sleep in the nesting boxes, especially silkies and frizzles. They will want to sleep in the nesting boxes, but it can get kind of dirty when they do that. You know, your nesting boxes will get soiled because they poof overnight. Um, so to discourage that, you want the roost to be higher than the nesting boxes. But certainly, you know, in any well-designed coop, you will have a place for them to roost and you'll have a place for them to lay eggs. And, you know, just remember um, with, especially with the nesting boxes, like there's so many things you can use for nesting boxes. You don't need to go out and buy anything fancy. You can. I totally have fancy nesting boxes that I love. <laughs> but you can also use like you know, a old kitty litter box that's got, a, you know, has like a cover on it, or you can use um, an old dog crate or something and they'll go in there as long as it's nice and cozy. Um, they'll go in there and they'll lay their eggs. So uh, just remember that, but certainly you want to have those elements in place before you get your, your chickens outside. And then any, uh, what do you say about like cleaning it? How often should they, it be cleaned? I know um, like we tend to, in the wintertime, leave all of the soiled bedding in there and then just pile new bedding on top of it to kind of keep, we heard that that's supposed to keep it warmer during the wintertime, um, but we mm-hmm. do sprinkle the PDZ kind of deodorizer yeah. um, on top of that and also a diatomaceous earth and then put the shavings on top so that it, it kind of takes away the ammonia smell. 
Would you recommend that? Yeah, that's the deep litter method. And certainly like we know that composting material generates heat. So that is one way to keep them a little bit warmer in the winter. So if you're doing the deep litter method, you would not clean out the shavings. Uh, Some people do it once a year. Some people do it twice a year. Uh, Some people only do deep litter over the winter. Um, But if you, you know, if you're not doing deep litter, how often you're going to clean out the shavings, it really has to do with the design of your coop, the size of your coop, and also the number of chickens you have. So, you know, generally it is very easy to tell when your coop is soiled and it needs to be cleaned. Certainly when you're smelling ammonia, you need to handle that very quickly because ammonia can lead to, to illnesses. And especially in the winter when they're spending more time, they may be in the coop more um, that can affect, affect their health. So I would just try and make a habit of scraping their roosts. I mean, sometimes I, I try and do that every day, at least a few times a week, I'll get like a paint scraper and scrape their roosts down, check their nesting boxes for poop. Um, you know, if, if you need to replenish that, then go ahead and do it and have that be kind of part of your everyday chore so that when it's time to do a deep cleaning, it's not super overwhelming. Um, generally, you know, a deep cleaning, you could do it once a month, but over the winter, that's probably going to be less for some people. It's like everything's frozen for months over the winter. So they're not going to be doing that, (laughs) but they can keep their roosts clean, keep their litter turned, you know, do the kind of things that will, uh, you know, ensure that there's not going to be dangerous bacteria or ammonia building up in the coop. Um, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to give like, okay, you need to clean it every such and such day. And, you know, because everybody's situation is different, you, they have different numbers of chickens or the design of their coop is different. And so I would say to people, ultimately use your common sense. Like you can tell you, you will know when your coop needs to be cleaned. So follow that, follow your heart. (laughs) And then the other maintenance would just be make sure that they always have food without poop in it, water without poop and shavings in it, make sure that's all nice and fresh and get the eggs. (laughs) Don't forget to collect your eggs. Yes, (laughs) yes. Don't forget. Don't forget. That's the, that's the bonus. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, you know, uh, check their food and water every day and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's going to be like second nature to you. Once you have, once you have them outside and you're getting into that routine, um, you will check their water every day, check their food every day and just make sure they have everything that they need. Awesome. And then where can people find you if they want more info on chickens or have questions for you? Well, uh, I, my biggest platform is definitely YouTube. That is, uh, my channel is called Welcome to Chickenlandia. I am across all these social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I have an online course. It's called Backyard Chickens 101, a chicken course for everyone. I have a book. It's called Let's All Keep Chickens. You can find that at Tractor Supply on Amazon and hopefully at your local bookstore. If not, ask them for it. Um, all of this information. Oh, and I also have a podcast. It's called Bok Talk, B-A-W-K-T-A-W-K. Um, but all of this you can find links to on my website. It is welcome to chickenlandia.com. So that's a really good place to start. You'll find everything there. Okay, great. And I will put a link to that in the show's description today. For the 
people do you, when they say, oh, chickens are dirty. What is the truth behind that? I mean, oh, you can't have chickens. It'll be dangerous for the kids, you know, if they get in there and whatnot. What's your thought on that process? There? Well, the healthiest kids are the ones that are on a farm. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, they're getting exposure. They're building resilience, just like we talked about earlier. You know, exposure builds resilience. Now, I'm not saying you should let your you know, 18 month old into the chicken coop and they're putting their hands in their mouth and they're, you know, they're eating yeah. what God knows what in there. You don't want that. You know, you want to be reasonable. You want to wash your hands after you're dealing with the chickens. You want to, you know, have some safe practices. But people have been doing this for millennia. Yeah, that's very true. You know, and it, it's not only, you know, something that we've done, it's something that has allowed us to survive a lot of adversity, you know, through war, through famine, all of that. That is so true. Poorest people in the world have chickens. That is so, so true. So any um, last, like, super secret tricks of, you know, or like, oh, I, I discovered this about chickens that, you know, the common folk wouldn't know, or me. Oh, you know, I, I think you had asked about like, you know, chickens being dirty. And I think the main the main issue is that people worry about chickens bringing rats okay. uh, to their land or certainly like in an apartment complex or in a neighborhood, you know, a neighborhood with with small yards. They're worried about the rodent aspect of it. And one thing I tell people to remember is that rodents are everywhere. They are literally everywhere. They are living among us. Um, wherever there are humans, there are going to be rodents, okay? What you don't want is an infestation. And the way to avoid infestation is to not leave chicken food mm -hmm. out and not leave kitchen scraps out. Okay. That is how, because they come for the food, they stay for the okay. warmth. Yeah, and we sprinkle um, cayenne pepper in with our chicken's food because I heard the chickens can't taste hot, but the rodents can, so they'll stay away from it. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if, especially if you're having little kids feed your chickens, you need to make sure that they're not overfeeding them and that there's feed being left out overnight. Oh. Like when you when you put something out on the ground for them, you want to make sure that they clean all of that up um, because that's when ro that's when you end up with a rodent oh. problem. And you know, if you want to see rodents at night, look at a bird feeder. Oh, interesting. Go go look. <laughs> Go look at the bottom of the bird feeder. Put a little like camera out there and you're going to see some rodents. And people don't complain about that as much. They don't think about that. Okay. You know, if you're leaving garbage out, of course you're going to have rodents. If you're leaving chicken feed out, you're going to have rodents. If you're letting the bird feeder get, you know, out of control, you're going to have rodents. These are all things that are manageable. Okay. So, uh, you know, focus on education, focus on learning it as much as you can, and you're going to be Yeah, going. I'm definitely going to take what you said about, um, you know, our, I am definitely the mom that you described where there are just most days, like, where we are both headstrong, butting heads. I'm yelling. It's, like, not a good situation for anyone. And I'm like, okay, just power through. Next day. Next day is going to be better. No yelling today, okay? No yelling today. But then, like, it's almost like he's like, I am just going to do everything I can to not look at her and to, like, draw <laughs> out this process of her asking me about the alphabet, you know, so that he doesn't pay attention <laughs> until I yell. And I'm like, but if you just paid attention the first time, I wouldn't have to do it. But so <laughs> I think it's not going easy. outside. It's not easy. We'll definitely. And we do, you know, we'll try to get outside. It's hard right now because it's snow. But we were out there yesterday sledding and whatnot. But 
go outside and go to the chickens and kind of talk, bring the lesson out there. I think us moms that, um, or dads, you know, that are, uh, you, you think, oh, I got this curriculum. We got to get this done. And it really doesn't have to be like that. You, you just give yourself permission to forego the curriculum or skip to the next chapter and take that day's curriculum and have it outside counting chicken eggs or, you know, um, the speckles on the chickens that you still have alive and <laughs> different things like that, cleaning out the coop and, and stuff, because that does make some, or, or even just taking, yeah. um, making a lesson of, okay, how are chickens, uh, you know, how do they lay an egg every day or however often they do, you know, let's go research that. Let's go to the library or go on the internet and f- find some videos on it or a book. Um, cause yeah, these little things that we take advantage of every day, yet we don't know how any of it exists and how fun would it be to learn? Cause it actually relates to something in our lives. That's yeah. why he doesn't want to know Do the it. alphabet. He's like, it doesn't relate to anything in my life, mom. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> C is for chicken. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Dahlia, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I'm going to check out uh, Chickenlandia. I hope the guests will too, the listeners. And I will put all of the links in our show's description so people can just go right there and find you that way. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful chat. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the homeschool how-to if you've enjoyed what you heard and you'd like to contribute to the show please consider leaving a small tip using the link in my show's description or if you'd rather please use the link in the description to share this podcast with a friend or on your favorite homeschool group facebook page any effort to help us keep the podcast going is greatly appreciated thank you for tuning in and for your love of the next generation mm-hmm.